this weekend, uh, Eric had asked me to teach, and he asked me to teach something that was on my heart, and, and so I picked a scripture that I went through uh, my devotions here recently, and it, and it just was one of those scriptures where I found myself uh, putting lots of asterisks and circling lots of things and underlying lots of things, so that's what we're going to do. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8, we are going to be doing chapter 8, verse 22 all the way through 54. And as we begin, what I'd like you to think about is, what do we do with success? What do we do with blessing? And then a second question, what do we do when we fail? Our successes and our failures, they can say so much about us. They can bring out the best of us in times, and then they can also bring out the worst of us at times. Our text this weekend is going to teach us this. I hope it's going to teach us this. That in times of blessing, we should humble ourselves and pray. And in times of failure, in times of sin, in times of trouble... We should seek God with all our hearts and once again pray. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your protection. God, as, as a church family, we do lift up our pastor and, and we, we thank you that now he knows what's been going on and you're watching over him and you're protecting him. And I pray your hand upon his health and your hand upon his family and that, Lord, you would keep him safe during this time. And God, as we come to your word, would you speak to us through it? Would you teach us? And would we have ears to hear it tonight and and this weekend? And would you be glorified in it? And we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So chronologically, here in 1 Kings, we are at about 970 B.C. Solomon has begun his reign. King David, Solomon's father, has died. And David, while he was reigning, had subdued all of the enemies of Israel. He had taken control of all the land, all the promised land that God had promised to Israel, and they were at the height of their power as a nation. David had desired to build God a house. But up to, up to this time, the dwelling place for God was just a tabernacle, a, a, a beautiful structure made of wood and material, but it was more of a tent as it would move, as it, it would need to move with the children of Israel from place to place as they wandered in the wilderness. And God had told David, David, you can't build my house. You're a man of war. You're a man of blood. But I do give you this promise, David, that your son, your seed would build my house. So as, Tol- as Solomon takes over the reign of Israel, Solomon took Israel to even new heights of wealth and of power and of riches. In 2 Kings 10, just, just about a page uh, forward there in your Bibles, in 27, it says, the king, that Solomon, made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. And in, in 1 Kings 8 here, Solomon has built a magnificent place for the presence of God to dwell with his people. 
Think of this snapshot inside the holiest of holies, the, the inner sanctuary where only the priests would go to offer sacrifice for the people once a year. The Ark of the Covenant was there. Solomon had made two angels, two cherub. And the Bible tells us that these cherub were 15 feet tall. And they each had a wingspan of 15 feet. So between the two of them, which sat on either side of the ark, there was 30 feet of wingspan of these angels. Now these angels were made out of olive wood, a very, a very dense wood, a very beautiful wood. But, but what he did is he didn't just leave the wood, he overlaid the whole thing just as the ark was wood with, overlaid with gold. He overlaid both of these angels that would have dwarfed the ark, the ark with solid gold. Just a glimpse, just a snapshot of the majesty, the glory of Solomon's temple that he has just completed. And we are, we are here in chapter 8, and what we are going to read is Solomon's prayer during the dedication of this new temple. They have brought the ark in already. There was lots of activity, and the people were there. And Solomon is there, and he's dedicating the temple, and he prays a prayer. And that is our text this evening. And in the midst of all Israel, he prays this prayer of grace and mercy and a plea for God to hear the repentant heart and to forgive. So looking there at 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 22, it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven. Now in Second Chronicles 6, we see this same prayer of Solomon's as we, as we uh, see this account recorded again in Second Chronicles 6. And it says there that Solomon had started this prayer actually on his knees with his hands in the air in front of the whole assembly. A humble king, the richest king, the wealthiest king, the most powerful king, who could have been, who could have been puffed up in all of his glory, and yet he humbles himself at the feet of the Lord. And he humbles himself at the feet of the people. And Solomon, again, there is significance of where he prays because he prays before the altar. The altar was the place of daily sacrifice for sin. And, it, and there was continual reminder of the cost of sin that it cost the shedding of blood or of a life. Which was in turn a picture of Jesus dying on the cross once and for all and for all the sins of man is where Solomon prays this prayer in front of the altar. And in verse 23, he says, And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on the earth below like you, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you have walked before me. 
And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. These words that God spoke to David are recorded in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. And there's two promises that God gave to David. In 2 Samuel 7 and 12, it says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, in other words, David, when you die, when you pass on, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. Promise one fulfilled when Solomon built the temple. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father and he shall be my son But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Promise number two here that Solomon prayed about was really a prophecy of Jesus. You see, Jesus was a son of David. Jesus' genealogy from from David to Jesus is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 1. Little did they know when they mocked Jesus by putting the crown of thorns on his head and calling him the king of the Jews, he was the king of the Jews. And his throne, God said, he would establish it forever. Solomon, little did he know, was praying a prophetic prayer to the Lord. In verse 27, Solomon continues his prayer. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Now Paul had said in the scriptures that he was caught up to the third heaven. And perhaps Solomon is speaking of this third heaven. I personally believe that the first heaven is the, our atmosphere, which we can see, our clouds. And second heaven would, would then be our uh, universe and the stars that we see. And the third, the heavens, the heaven of the heavens would be beyond space and time. Indeed, where Solomon is saying, you dwell and all of it, Lord, you're so big and you're so large and you're so incredible, cannot contain you. Solomon says. And as he he is dedicating this incredible temple to God, he acknowledges the ridiculousness of God being confined to a house. And we know this and we sense this as we are not in this house, this sanctuary. We know that we are the body of Christ and we, we know that God's work is still going on and we know that he's doing possibly even more than we can think and imagine as we are absent from this place. What's also incredible when you think of the immensity of the Lord and how Solomon says that the heavens of of heaven can't contain you is that this God is the same God that died for your sins, that came to earth, that took on human flesh, confined himself to a human body and was subject to men to be beaten and to be spit on and to be crucified. Also that he might save us and reconcile himself 
to us and save us from our sin. Also that he might indwell us by his spirit. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, he tells us and he tells the believer, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God wants to dwell in us? This immense, incredible God wants to dwell in us, do things through us, to save us, to wash us, to cleanse us, to enable us to do all that he has set before us and all that he wants to do through us. It's an amazing, amazing thing. An amazing fact that God wants to dwell in you and I. And Solomon continues in verse 28, and he says, yet. In other words, Lord, the heavens can't even contain you, and you are so immense, yet regard the prayer of your servant. Lord, would, would, even though you are God, would you hear me? Once again, Solomon here is humbling himself. Would Regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer of which your servant is praying before you today. That your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Here in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. In front of the altar, in front of the place where millions and millions of lambs and rams and goats and turtle doves would have their blood shed for the sacrifice of sin. Here Solomon, Solomon is, is appealing to the Lord and this foreshadowing, this picture of Jesus shedding his blood for the sins of the world. Sol- Solomon prays that as the people look toward this temple, And he prayed that God would also, his eyes would look toward this temple. You see, the temple was a mediator between God and his people Israel, where his presence was. And the daily sacrifices looked toward Jesus. Now let's put that in New New Testament theology. As we look toward Jesus, God sees us as he looks through Jesus and sees, sees his shed blood on us, a forgiven people. And so everything about the temple and everything that they did and everything about this prayer of Solomon points toward our Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy 2 and 5, Paul wrote this, For there is one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, of which the temple and all that went on there was a foreshadowing of the forgiveness of sins. Now, Solomon continues his prayer in verse 31, and he gets a little bit more specific with what he's, with what he's asking. In verse 31, he says, 
When anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head, and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Solomon here is praying about when we fall into sin, when we fall into conflict with each other or, or with someone. And he says, he says, Lord, when the people sin against each other and, and when they have a, def, a, a disagreement and an offense against each other, Lord, if they will appeal to you and hear, Lord, will you judge them and will you judge them rightly and will you act on their behalf? How important it is to pray for wisdom from the Lord when someone has sinned against us or when we have maybe perhaps sinned against another. You can see, you can see it can so, be so easy for us to judge ourselves and, 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 and want to sort of sanctify ourselves in disagreements or perhaps sin and sin, sin that's come against me or sin that's come against someone else. And if you, if you have that in your life, Solomon says, God, when they pray to you, when they come before you, you judge. You fix this problem for them. For them. You make sure that it's right for them. But, but our, our, our point is to pray. Our point is to pray. In verse 33, he says, when your people Israel are, are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn, turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple... Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave their fathers. Solomon here is speaking of defeat. And, and, and certainly Israel had lost battles because of sin both before Solomon and after Solomon. But for, for, the, for the Christian, we know, we know that we fight battles all the time. And sometimes those battles are because of our own sin. And Solomon says, when they turn back to you, key, key, if we have lost a battle, if you've lost a battle, and, and maybe we've sinned, maybe, maybe we've done some things that were below who we should be as a Christian. Solomon says, Lord, when they turn back, when they turn around, when they turn the other way, when they turn from their sin and they come to you, Hear them. Hear them. Maybe you're losing the battle because of sin. Maybe your family needs to turn back to the Lord. Turn back to a Savior who wants to restore you. Restore you. Do not live in defeat. God did not want his children, Israel, to live in defeat. God certainly doesn't want us, his body, believers, to live in defeat. In verse 35, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name, turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on their land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. 
They needed rain. They needed food. They needed sustenance to survive. And God, at times, has caused certainly natural consequences and supernatural consequences on his people because of sin. And Solomon says, when that happens and they turn, when they turn, Lord, restore them. Restore, restore what they need. Take care of them. Take care of their provisions when they turn back to you. The Bible is clear that the rain falls on the, ju- on the, uh, on the just and the unjust alike. And lack of provisions is not always a result of sin. But nonetheless, when we turn to God and confess sin if needed or ask God for provisions, we need to know that indeed he hears us and he knows every need that we might have. So one of the reasons why, church, we wanted to do this outreach, outreach and step it up a little bit. And one of the reasons we do not want you to be shy because God has already provided for you and it's sitting over in the junior high room. You just need to come pick it up next week, you see? And regardless of, of whether you have sinned and blown it or you haven't and you're in that need, then you come because God does provide for his people. Look at verse 37. When there is famine in the land and pestilence or human disease, COVID, if you will, or blight, which is plant disease, or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness is there, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by your people Israel, and this is key, listen to this, mark it well, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple. Solomon here is saying, Lord, when they search their hearts and when they ask you to search your hearts, then, then, verse 39, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days of their life and all all the days that they live in the land which you gave to your fathers. Is COVID an act of God? Is God using this to bring people back to him? I don't know. The Lord keeps his own counsel. But what I do know, what I do know and what what Solomon points to is that these viruses, they only kill the body. What's even more deadly is a plague or a virus that gets in the heart and kills us spiritually. It causes us to to be taken from the Lord in in our spirits and in our minds. God already knows your heart and he wants you to know your heart how he knows it. And Solomon is suggesting here that the best way to figure that out, whatever's going on in your heart, is to turn back to God and to pray. Pray with all your heart 
with all your strength, with all your soul. In verse 41, it says, Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel. Now this shows how God loves a lost and dying world. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your namesake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Solomon understood that God wasn't simply the God of Israel, but God was the God of all men throughout the world. We get Christians to be the hands and feet of God. And Solomon just declared that God has an outstretched arm to the unbelieving world. And God wants to use each and every one of us in our own unique gifts and talents and ways to be his outstretched arm to the unbelieving world. How important is that today in your community, to your neighbors, to the, to the people that you're ministering to, in your family that need to know the Lord, that need to maybe figure some, some things out from all the chaos that's going on in the world today and you have the answers, you have the outstretched arm of God. Verse 44. When your people go out to battle against their enemy, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen and the temple which you have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Israel had to go out to battle and they did not always play defense. God had them on the offense sometimes and sometimes that was to judge the pagan nations around them and to protect them. Christians, God doesn't want us just playing defense. Jesus said that the gospel, the good news, that the name of Jesus would be an offense to a lost and dying world. And yes, we will be an offense at times. And I know the fear. I know the fear of stepping out and wondering, are they going to laugh at me? Are they going to mock me? Are they going to spit on me? In some countries, Rocky Mountain Calvary, they kill them still and now. We only get over that fear when we pray and we, when we allow Jesus to fight that fight for us, when we step out in faith knowing he's going to fight that fight, Israel had to know God was fighting that fight for them. Verse 46, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, there's a big key, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy. And they take them captive to a land of the enemy far or near. Yet when they come to themselves, how important it is that we come to ourselves, in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land 
of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. Solomon here is praying a very prophetic prayer. As some 400 years in the future, a now divided kingdom of Israel and Judah will have gone into captivity, is the northern tribe, Israel, to the Assyrians, and the southern tribe, Judah and Benjamin, to the Babylonians, and this very thing will have happened. And verse 48, and when they return to you, look at this, oh my gosh, look at this, with all their heart. with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave their fathers, the city which you have chosen, the temple which I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who have taken them captive and, they, and that they may have compassion on them. Church, I think that the New Testament theology here is that Christians sometimes can turn away from the Lord. And they can seek after other gods and other things. Solomon here is praying, God, remember this is the height of the power and the riches and the wealth. And he's looking forward and seeing the heart and knowing the heart of man. And unfortunately, even Solomon himself would fall at a time. And Christian, if that's you and you find yourself not knowing even how close you are to God or feeling very far away from him, like you've been taken captive, turn with all your heart with all your strength, with all your soul, back to a loving Father who will forgive and restore. Verse 51, speaking of Israel, for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, out of the iron furnace. You tried them in Egypt, Lord, that your eyes may be open to the supplication whenever they call you. For you separated them from among all peoples of the earth to be your inheritance. As you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought your fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Israel is God's chosen people. And God is not finished with them. Christians, we should pray for Israel always and the peace of Israel and the peace of Jerusalem. And we should be praying that at some point they, even though they rejected Messiah first time, that they would turn and receive Jesus as their Messiah. God is not done with them. And in the end times, which we don't know how close we are, we could be very close. God will be pouring out his spirit once again on his people Israel. But for now, Ephesians 
chapter 1, Paul tells all Christians, anyone that has received the forgiveness by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that we are God's inheritance. That he died so that he might save us and inherit us. He has both given us an inheritance which is him and he considers us who have been saved and, and have had faith on him and proclaimed his death for the forgiveness of sins as his own inheritance to come. In 54, our last verse tonight, and so it was when Solomon had finished praying all, his, all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord and from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread to heaven. Second Chronicles 7, 1 and 2 describes this verse this way. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord that had filled the Lord's house. The richest, wisest, most powerful king humbled himself and prayed at his greatest time of success. And God heard and God showed up. Christians in times of blessing we should be humble and we shall humble ourselves and pray. And Christians, in times of failure, in times of sin, in times of trouble, in times of wondering, we should seek God with all our hearts and we should pray. I believe that's God's heart through Solomon's prayer. And I believe that it, it is so important for us right now as we are seeking our, God's perfect will for our families, for our city, for our state, for our nation, for our leaders, for this world, to get in the right place and to turn back and to seek God with all our heart, mind, and soul, whether there's sin in your life or not. If we all do it, church, if we all do it, God can do awesome things during this time. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word that reminds us and encourages us and tells us of your great mercy and your great provision and your heart for us, a people that are prone at times to wandering. God, forgive us if we have and bring us back. Lord, show us your mercies. Lord, make us new. God, watch over and provide for each and every family, each and every person that calls Rocky Mountain Calvary home and calls this place their place of worship. Hear them. God, we thank you and we praise you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, if you have tuned in and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Maybe you've understood some of the gospel tonight, even through the teaching of God's word. But I'll reiterate it. God had a plan because everyone on this planet is a sinner. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But he had a plan 
And it, it was his plan of salvation that God himself would take on human flesh because our sin required a death. And we died, we were separated from God. And in order for us to be reunited with God, Jesus, God, took on human flesh. And he died and he rose again to take that penalty of sin that, that was owed us. But tonight, if, if you know you're a sinner and God is calling out to you, then just pray, just bow your head and, 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 and you know God wants you to receive him. Just bow your head and pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe that you died for my sin. I repent of my sin. Please come into my life. I surrender my life to you. Lord, if any tonight gave their heart and their soul to you, hear them. Watch over, forgive them, protect them, encourage them, strengthen them in their new faith. Lord, help them to feel welcome in your family. Help them to feel forgiven and loved by you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.